Welcome to Disruptors, the podcast for bright sparks fueled by great ideas that have changed the world. In each episode, we chat with some of the most innovative disruptors from our community at the King's Entrepreneurship Institute. We discover how they've used their entrepreneurial skills to develop their ideas for their business ventures, tested those ideas, and compelled others to do the same. Hi everyone and welcome to Disruptors. My name is Rachel Stockey. I'm Head of Entrepreneurial Skills at the Entrepreneurship Institute at King's College. And today I'm joined by Seb Orselin, who is the Head of the School for Biomedical Engineering and Imaging Sciences. And we're going to be having a conversation today about the connection between entrepreneurship and academia and what it means to commercialise research and how research and entrepreneurship are can work better together and how that's ha- currently happening at King's. Welcome Seb, how are you? I'm good, good morning. Would you like to give everybody a bit of an intro to you, your background, and what the role is that you do at King's now? Sure. So I'm, I'm Seb, Seb Orson. I'm, I'm Professor of Healthcare Engineering at King's. Uh, my day-to-day job is to head a school, uh, which is part of the Faculty of Medicine. Uh, so there is quite a lot of administration, but uh, my background is being a researcher, and I'm trying still to stay active in research. I'm an engineer by training and a computer scientist. Cool. That's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of things. How did you first connect with the entrepreneurship side of things? Did that start quite early on for you? In France, uh, when you want to become an engineer, you don't go to a university. Uh, you go to an engineering school, uh, which, is a, which is an independent uh, institution, um, uh, which is um, uh, providing you with this uh, specific diploma. And, uh, and in any engineering schools, like in any commercial school in, in, in France, you have... Um, uh, dedicated uh, entrepreneurship um, um, institutions, uh, which is called as uh, a junior uh, entrepreneurs, um, and uh, it's a, like a mini company, which is there to um, work with the uh, with the students, expose them to industry, and let them run their own company um, to try to basically support uh, industry and 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 support commercialization of technology. Um, I became the CEO of this uh, small enterprise uh, while I was uh, I was a student there, and got hooked quite quickly about uh, taking responsibility, working with industry, understanding their need, um, and uh, yeah, it's, it followed me since then. So very early then, that's yeah. a, a cool setup to have it built into the education system. I guess we don't follow that path in the UK. No, we don't. No, and I think that's actually something to be really nice to implement. So we often get at the Entrepreneurship Institute, if people haven't been engaged in entrepreneurship very much, their usual reference points are TV shows. So The Apprentice, Dragon's Den, and that's their kind of view of what entrepreneurship is. What is entrepreneurship to you? Well, it's certainly not Dragon's Den. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, if you you want to raise uh, a few thousand pounds for half of your company, it's perhaps a good idea. Uh, but uh, no, entrepreneurship actually it's much more a state of mind. It's mm-hmm. much more a way a way of working and a way of thinking. And I think a lot of people are entrepreneurial without even realizing it, mm-hmm. uh, just by the way they they actually react and 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 organize their own life. Um, uh, so I will not say that um, being an entrepreneur is actually a job. Being mm-hmm. an entrepreneur is a, is really a way of 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 being and a, and a way of of interacting with the environment. Um, Basically, not 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 accepting the statu quo, um, uh, trying to always find solutions, 
uh, to problems rather than just identifying the problem and just move on. Um, and, um, and quite often trying to do things at pace. Mm. So being slightly in the hurry in the way that you, you, you do your work. I'm interested in that specifically around then, therefore, the connection between research and entrepreneurship. Because my, uh, I've had lots of conversations with researchers where they get frustrated at the pace <laughs> of research being quite slow. How do you reconcile those two things, therefore, with research and entrepreneurship, do you think? Academia is slow. Mm. University sector is slow. I mean, uh, you know, they are complex, complex organizations. They have multiple uh, way of delivering on their mission. They've got, they've got, you know, quite a diverse set of, of, uh, of, of uh, directions that they, what they need to demonstrate that they add value. So education is an important component and then research is an important component. Um, most of the environment is, at least in my field, which is, which is healthcare engineering, is heavily regulated. Mm. So, so even if your research might not go as fast as you want, um, it's actually super quick mm. compared to be able to deliver your research to, uh, to patients, for instance. Right, yeah. So, so the, the challenge we faced is, is really about, you know, how quick you can get your technology commercialized, how quick you can get your technology going over all of the regulatory, um, uh, challenges of getting your FDA approved uh, technology, getting your C marking, your UKCA, um, getting your technology to trials. Um, so um, even if my research was going quicker, um, all of those sorts of challenges will actually make it quite quite slow. So mm -hmm. if you talk to the industry sectors, they will tend to say that the technology you use today on patients are 15 years obsolete. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's that's to me a, a quite a, quite an interesting challenge to tackle. And that's actually one of the one of the work that I'm quite keen to to, to tackle at King's. Mm -hmm. So you're quite a leading voice at King's for the importance of entrepreneurship meeting academia. Why do you think it's important? Well, because I think it gives you an opportunity to really make an impact to society. Mm. It gives you an opportunity to um, really take responsibility for the technologies that you have developed yourself or you've been part of developing uh, within your research group. Um, so it's, uh, it's making, I think, your role as a researcher far more active. Um, I mean, of course, it's not for everybody. Uh, I don't think it's right to say that um, um, any single academic should become an entrepreneur and create its own company. However, uh, if, um, if one of your drivers is really to make a difference to society and to get your technology in, the, in, in your environment, um, you sometimes have no other choices, right? And so um, if, you, if you are in a, in a field which can be quite slow, uh, which is heavily weighted uh, towards very large multinationals, which by definition are slow mm. uh, due to their scale, um, then, then you have a, you have a trade-off to make between um, working at their pace and then having your technologies that you developed 15 years ago being commercialized now mm. or working at your pace and, um, and getting your technology faster into the market by taking responsibility for it. So I think... What entrepreneurship does to an academic is giving them, I think, a very, an ever stronger sense of purpose in their work 
Um, and as I say, it might not be the solution for everyone, but at least for my, 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 in my own world, it's a, it's a very important part of who I am. Um, it, and, and, and as I say, it, it can reflect in, in the way that you work in your, in your team as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so it's much more than just creating a company. It's, it's really about really considering that what we do is in this translational pathway mm-hmm. from really creating a technology on your bench to, in my case, get this technology tested on the bedside and ended up in a boardroom. So I really like this motto of considering we go from bench to bedside to boardroom. Mm. And quite often people have been really stopping at the bedside, <laughs> thinking that someone is going to come mm. and take their amazing technology uh, and run with it. But in fact, the reality of the world is usually that's not how it works. Um, and the technology will stay on the shelf for a very, very long time until someone in an R&D department in the, in the, in the a commercial organization might actually pick it up and might therefore test it and might therefore try it again from scratch and waste a huge amount of time. Mm. So I see it's a, it's a much more dynamic way of thinking that you, you really want to push things quickly into the, into the real world and therefore make a, make a difference to society. So I think it's, uh, it's even more important today than it was yesterday. Mm. Uh, you know, I think, uh, all universities are, are really looking for a new identity as well. You know, it's all not only about education. Education is hugely important, but we could see with, you know, with, uh, with, with the pandemic, the, the education sectors has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, university has to adapt. Um, but university needs to demonstrate that uh, they can provide a difference to the economy, that they can provide a difference to society. And I think that will be done by, by generating impact, which become more and more prominent in the research excellence frameworks, the REF, that's mm. been such an important um, 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 activity for, uh, for, for our, our sector, um, where um, the impact you make to society has a huge weight now in, into your final result. Mm. Um, so entrepreneurship is a, is a fantastic way of demonstrating this impact. I think university, the university in the UK has not been the most, has not been the most entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial, right? I don't think that's, that's rude to say that. Um, and I think we need to help to change it. I think King's, with all of his greatest, um, um, has, has not embraced yet entrepreneurship at its full scale and its full capability. Now, there is fantastic activity happening and it's starting to grow, you know, we, we see, we see our students creating companies. We see our, our staff, um, myself and others, um, uh, creating companies. Um, but I think it's quite hard to see so many success stories in any university in the UK. I mean, there is a few, but, um, you know, if, if you look at recent reco- uh, reports about, um, how many unicorns come from the university, um, it's, very few in the UK, unfortunately. So, so how come? Mm-hmm. How come we generate all of this amazing knowledge? And at the end, one out of 10 unicorns, even less, um, in our, in our sector is coming from the university. So I think we need to think about why this is happening. So, um, and I don't think King's is the only one which is, which is trying to find a way of, of solving this. But I would say it's a bit, still a bit behind compared to some of its uh, main um, colleagues and competitors. We, we definitely need to change 
all ways of working as an institution as well. Mm. Um, I can explain to you in more detail if you want how, how we can do that. But that's we'll come on to that, but I think you raise an interesting point and it's something that I've definitely seen as well, that there's a sort of resistance, I guess, from a lot of researchers or academics around the concept of entrepreneurship and particularly, I think, a resistance to the word sort of commercialization mm. because it has this sort of negative connotation around sort of selling out almost or like the financial part yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. Do you see that? Not at well? all. Not at all. But but again, um, I'm in a very translational environment. So so if you look at if you look at healthcare and you go back to this challenge of, of space, one of the challenges of space I mentioned is regulation. Mm. Right. So if today you just developed a fantastic new device which mm. is going to save life. Um, this device will need to go through a regulatory approval process. Yeah. And if you don't go through this regulatory approval process, then it will never reach patient. Mm. You know, you might be able to do, thanks to some of the current um, um, medical device regulation exemptions with MHRA, you might be able to do a first inpatient, you might be able to test your technology in one of our um, uh, Kingsley's partners' hospital. Um, but if you really want to scale it up and get this technology provided all over the world, you will need to go through this regulatory process. So now, if your technology is high risk, eventually I return, but you don't really know yet. But it's definitely high risk in the sense that um, it might cost too much, not return enough money. Who is going to commercialize it? Yeah. And the challenge we have in a sector which is quite uh, risk averse, and I'm not talking about uh, the university, I'm talking about the medical device companies, the large companies of this world, they want the risk to be as low as possible. They want you to de-risk the technology. As a university, do we have the infrastructure to do that? Surely not. We certainly don't have any, any infrastructure when we be able to own every single certification for every single device and then distribute it commercially around the world. So, so what is your next alternative? If you don't want this technology to stay on the shelf, well, it's to being able to go through the regulatory process yourself, get the CE marking, get the CE UKCA, get the FDA approval. But the only way to do that is someone needs to also certification and that's a company. Mm. So your only alternative for your technology to reach patient, if you cannot get it through a big company, will be to generate it through your own company. Mm. So, so, so to me, it's um, kind of an obvious, you know, pathway. Because mm. if you're a researcher, you're there to challenge the statute quo in, in, and you need to innovate. So you, you, you end up by finding amazing new solution, hopefully, that you think are solving really a, a real problem. If this is too risky for a big company to take on, then you have to become an entrepreneur. You need to create this company, which is why we really need to embed the culture of entrepreneurship mm. in academia because it's not a way of becoming rich. I say always to my students and my staff, become an entrepreneur, create a company. But if you want really just to do it for the money, then don't do an healthcare company. Okay. Don't do a medical device company. Create a fintech company, create a, <laughs> a, 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 a B2C company, but don't don't try to sell medical devices. You're taking the hardest problems with the most, the most challenging regulation in the entire commercial sector 
Um, you don't do it for the money. I mean, if you do it for the money, I think you will uh, you will be exhausted very quickly. <laughs> you do it for the impact, right? You do it for the impact. Else. You do it for 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 the difference you can make to to society. You do it because you believe that this actually has the potential to save life. Mm. You know, if if you've got if you've got in your head a technology which can diagnose a cancer ten years ahead of any other technology, don't you feel a responsibility that you mm. have to? Give it to the patient. You have to be able to use this technology. Mm-hmm. I do feel responsibility, right? Especially when most of my research has been funded by your tax, mm-hmm. right? So I think it's a, we need to have a different conversation. Yeah. In the entire UK about, about the purpose of entrepreneurship. And, and we are, because the university is as risk adverse than those big multinationals. And we are always looking at the, at the challenge that is created. For instance, conflict of interest. Mm. Right? While, in fact, being conflicted is one of the main drivers of doing anything. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, if I'm, if I, if I've got a grant on a specific technology, I'm going to put my research in this area. I'm conflicted, of course. I'm, but I'm positively conflicted. I just, I need to declare my conflict. I think it's the same. We just need to find a way of managing it better. Mm. But I think we should celebrate and embrace entrepreneurship in the university sector, and we should not. Basically, push away people from the from the organizations because we are worried about how do we manage those conflicts. Mm. From a skill set perspective, I think I've seen that there are some real areas of overlap between researchers and their, their mindset and those that I see of entrepreneurs. Yeah. Do you see those areas of overlap, and what do you would you say they are? So, first of all, I will not say that every single academic, you know. As an hundred percent overlap with an entrepreneur, so so we need to be, you know, we we, we need to be careful about not 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 creating just a one size fits all sort of situation. Yeah. However, what is very clear is um, if you want to create a company and you really you really want to push your technology forward, you will need to raise funds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you raise funds? Well, you have to pay, prepare a case. You have to write a business plan. You need to pitch it. You need to convince people to invest into it. This is exactly the same pathway we do in research. Mm. Right? All of our research we do has to be funded. It's not funded by the university directly. It's funded by external uh, groups. It can be the UKRI, it can be charities, or sometimes it can be even um, other industries. Um, but we need to demonstrate we are the right people to do this research. So it's a very com- highly competitive environment. So I think this sense of competitiveness, this, this sense of basically not taking a no as an answer, being being knocked off and step up and go to the next, um, is very common between I think the entrepreneurial environment and, and, and academia. So, so if, if your research requires you to write grants, it's a very similar process and you as an entrepreneur having to write a business plan and you as an entrepreneur having to pitch your ideas to VCs. Of course, you don't pitch it in the same way, but you don't try to grant in the same way either between one research council, a charity and, a, and an industry. So I think, I think there is a lot of similarity in the way that you will articulate your message to get the money to do your, to do what you have to do. At the end of the day, it's, it's a, it's a financial transaction. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there is all of the activity related to setting up your own group. You know, if you are young, if you are a young academic, um, uh, and I've been through this path myself a few times, you know, you, 
you end up in a new environment, a new organization, so you are you are one person then. Uh, and uh, and you st- need to start to build your group. You need to you build your group by you know creating a sense of purpose, of identity. So you 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 find a name to yourself, to your own group. And I say to my always to my students, don't call your group by your own name. <laughs> you, know, you don't see that many companies doing that. Don't do that for your own lab. I don't think that's a good idea in our field because you want to bring loyalty. You want to bring a large group. You might want to bring people who are academics to work with you to build your research group. So it's not all about postdoc and PhD students. You know, I, when I was at uh, my previous organization, we built a group when we ended up being 140 people. Um, and, and I had academics as well. And people who had the same academic uh, level than I was, but we decided to work together. And, and I would say the way you build those teams is very, very similar to the way you will build your, 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 your company. You will identify people with, with skills which are complementary. Um, you will have to run your own finance. Uh, it's like a mini, mini company. You will have to do your own marketing. You will have to do your own communication. You will have to present your work to you know, to forums and to conferences in the same way you do it uh, in, in exhibitions um, uh, for companies. So there is, there is certainly a lot of similarity. Plus, where there is a, a difference sometimes is the pace. The fact that if you are if you're an academics, you have a job which is secure. Um, if you don't get the next grant, it's not your salary which is on the line. It's the salary of your colleagues. Mm. And it all depends on your pace your perspective and your sense of of of, of continuum and, and loyalty of how do you want to keep those people that you've been working with for five years, ten years? Do you feel that you need a break and, and actually it's okay if you can't if you can't um, uh, continue to support them because they will be all funded as we call using soft funding. So what you will see is, is most of the very successful academics will have a very strong sense of loyalty with some of their research fellows, mm-hmm. uh, postdoctoral fellows and so on. And, and we try to keep them employed in their group with their great skills and the bonding and the team you create as long as, they, as long as you can. Or as long as your colleagues want to stay, because those people might have their own ambition of becoming an academic and then you need to find a way of supporting them, either doing it internally or, or, or uh, you know, as are supporting them to get a job in another organization. You were saying earlier that you don't necessarily think the entrepreneurship path is for everybody. Yeah. But then we've talked a bit about what it means to be entrepreneurial and that being a mindset for people that could be applicable to anyone. What do you think is the benefit of learning entrepreneurial skills in a wider sense before you've made a decision about whether you want to build a company or, or anything? What's that mindset piece and why is that important? Well, at least for me, it, 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 it enabled me to, to stay sane <laughs> in, a, in an academic environment, which, which tends to be very conservative. Right. And it's not Kings being conservative, it's the university sector being conservative. So I think it gives you a way of thinking out of this very you know, fixed box mm-hmm. of how things are done, quite often by committees, <laughs> um, um, and, and give you um, a way of finding new solutions and, and disrupting the, the statu quo. So the, the, those skills of becoming an entrepreneur, it's, it's not all about, it's not all about just adding value to you. It will add value to your team, mm. right? Um, being entrepreneur is not only about 
and uh, raising funds. As I say, it's, it's all about the behavior and the type of skills that you have, you have built over the years, which enable you to solve problems, like convincing people, mm-hmm. um, like uh, identifying a new path uh, to solve the problem. Um, you know, call someone that might be quicker than sending an email. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, I know it looks silly, but it's, it's a lot of small things which make you walking at a pace which is different, mm-hmm. which can be disruptive when the system doesn't always allow it, but, but I think adds this dynamic and this positivity in your research environment, which make people feel that, you know, things are really progressing. They are exciting about it. Having a mission statement, for instance, for a group in research, I think is really important. Mm-hmm. Uh, understanding that you have to have a clear direction of travel for you and for your group, and that will bring, bring people to you. Mm-hmm. The same sense of purpose with, uh, with companies. You know, if you are in industry, so it's quite fierce right now to, to, to retain staff. Mm-hmm. So having, having a passion you can share, having the skill sets to convince people to stay with you is a, it's, it's a, I think it's a very important skill to have. And it is an entrepreneurial skill. Um, uh, it's a, as I say, a sense, a sense of, give a sense of purpose of what you do. And, and it enables you to be, you know, to create an environment which is more vibrant where people want to be part of and stay part of. Because mm, they're aligned with that. Exactly. Yeah. I'm interested. So if you re- rewind back to an early researcher who's, potentially listening to this and thinking this sounds interesting where do i start what would you advise somebody who's interested in they don't know whether they're going to start a company yet but the whole concept of becoming more entrepreneurial as a researcher is interesting what advice would you give to them uh the first advice i would give to any area academic is stop thinking you can solve every problems yourself be very collaborative mm. be very open Hiding your secrets, it's not a way of success. Mm. It's actually, and you end up being isolated. So I think be very open. It doesn't mean being very naive, but being very open in what you do. Really um, um, always have a long-term strategy and stick with it. Mm. Not, not try to derive or drift, sorry, from, you know, in different direction because you just get a new advice. Mm. I think believing in yourself, that would be one of the skills you need to have. Doesn't mean be arrogant, believing in yourself, believing in the journey you're going through, uh, understanding the world around you, and get to go out there and find your right, your right partners. Yeah, I think we should plug the Entrepreneurship Institute as well, because I think we've got a lot of opportunities on the entrepreneurial skills side of things that we can help people start thinking in that in that way. And just from hearing you talk, you've touched on a lot of the skills that we sort of highlight and run things around around disruptive thinking and around building effective teams. And we we talk about kind of commitment to growth around yourself and mm. your idea um, and being kind of uh, willing to learn and adapt and uh, compelling communication, how you bring somebody on board with your idea. So I think, you know, there's a lot of, especially at King's, we have uh, ways that we can start to support our researchers to become more entrepreneurial. So... I wondered, um, you mentioned earlier about we need to change the model. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about your vision for how that happens and what that looks like? Yeah. I see, I see a way where entrepreneurship becomes part of your job. Mm. It's not something on the side. 
And, and the only way to do that is the organization to include this as part of the activity we will celebrate in your professional life, mm-hmm. not just as an individual, but as an organization. And, and a way that it's, it's embedded into your um, professional objectives, right? If you choose to become an entrepreneur, you should be in a position that you go to your manager um, um, and I'm talking about an academic, but it could be, it could be, it could be a postdoctoral fellow. It could be a student. Um, uh, and so the conversation about contractual matters is different, but, but in the, in, in the conversation of, of being contracted, being, being an employee of the university, um, um, as an academic, um, uh, you, you should be in a position that you should talk to your manager and say, well, actually, I want to, I want to quite a company. I've got, I've got this background IP. So one of the skills as well is really understanding when, when is it, when does it matter to patent your technology mm. and, uh, and learning how to protect it. And the university can help you to do that. But I've got some technologies patented. I've been validating it. Now I would like to build a company. Well, let's put this as part of your, what we call a PDR, mm. which is environment of kings. Let's add this in your professional objective for the year. And let's have a way of embedding this into your work plan. Mm. Rather than <clears throat> you having to just make a comment in your PDR, oh yeah, by the way, I'm, I might create a company uh, and I'm talking to IPNL about how do we sort out the IP. Mm. Um, and I'm, uh, and I'm, and I'm talking with, uh, with the university about how I might still end up by not being the minor- minority shareholder of the company I just created, mm. which is a, which is the wrong end of the stick. Mm. I think we should, we should end up in a model where, where the university is an active shareholder. Now, when I go to a, when I go to a VC and they ask us, um, um, you know, how much university own to your mm. company? That's a very common question. You know, you know, I've been in previous business that I created in a situation when the numbers didn't look that great mm. in the sense that it was far too big. Yeah. And the question then was, okay, what do you get for that? What is it going to provide to you? So rather than always thinking that what you offer is the intellectual property that was generated by yourself, but owned by the university due to, to your employment as the key added value that the university is making to a company, you need to think about how can I make sure that the share I have as a university is always going to grow in value, not in size, mm. but in value. And the only way to do that is to embrace entrepreneurship, to deal with those silly conflict of interest, to accept the fact that actually it's a good thing for the university to be on board and to be a shareholder, that it's even better for the university to make sure that this academic will do this entrepreneurship activity within the organization, champion entrepreneurship, spread the word, um, um, become really, um, uh, you know, a voice about what, how does that value to its daily jobs in his education program, in his delivery of education, the way you teach, in the way you interact with students, up to the way that you do your research on a daily basis. So having your entrepreneurs and your academics being the same person in your lab, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's, I think, uh, the model. And, and yes, we need to solve all this issue about how do you deal with IP, how do you deal with uh, conflict? But fundamentally, it should not be seen as a job that you do in the weekend. Mm. It shouldn't be seen as a job that you cannot claim as part of your 
next promotion case. So I see, I see a model where, where, you know, we will celebrate people becoming entrepreneurs. We will celebrate it by promoting them as much as you got a grant where you set up a company. This technology, which was invented by King's academic, is now commercialized and making this amazing impact in mm -hmm. society. Yes, on top of it, it's, it's making some return of investment to universities that they can, they can use, you know, and to even support even further more entrepreneurship mm -hmm. in the, in the organizations or, or support even further the infrastructure, which enabled all of that. But not just seeing this as a single transaction. It has to be an active, supportive conversations over years. And of course, it has to be monitored, right? I mean, if you, if you spend time to, to create a company and you do this while on your job, you need to be able to report. You need to be able, or actually, you must report. You must be able to show progress. When you were asking me the, 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 the skill sets and the, the correlation or alignment between academics and entrepreneurs, I think, one thing that academics are really, really bad at is stopping projects, mm. right? And as an entrepreneur, what you need to do is to know when to stop and to pivot. Yeah. Otherwise, sometimes it might be too, too late. And I, I, I've been through this and I, and I, and I learned, learned my mistake and, and you learn them in a, in a hard way, huh? in a, in a, in a company. You're basically going to, you know, kill your, you're going to have your business dying because mm. you didn't pivot right at the right time. Academics are terrible at that. When academics are spending three, four, five years investing in projects, they fall in love with the project mm. and they, and they completely forget the mission. So, so rather than being driven by, am I, am I reaching the objective, which could be this technology is going to make this difference in terms of diagnostic accuracy and so on. They know they will not reach it. They know it's actually not going to happen anymore, but they love it so much and they spend so much energy building the team, writing grants. They got so much on infrastructure, they will let it go. Let's continue. Mm. So that would be a great, a great skill, I think, in academia is understanding what pivoting means. Mm. Pivoting is a good thing. Closing projects is a good thing. Failing fast is a good thing. We don't know how to fail fast in a, in a, in a, in a university. So academic needs to learn how to fail fast and, and we should celebrate and move on. Yeah. yeah, it's good to identify you are going to fail quickly rather than going through this journey for three years. A company cannot afford it. We cannot afford it either in academia, I think. Yeah. But we let it go. And so um, if we enable our academics to become entrepreneurs, we need to have an entrepreneurship mindset. We need to have six months, 12 months review. And if it doesn't work, we close it. We close it and we move on mm. up to the next, the, the next journey. But we fundamentally needs to have this conversation with our organizations and our organization becoming, as I call, an active shareholder mm. and not just only a single transaction. And I, no, it, does, it sounds to be quite obvious and very simple, but that's not the way it's done at mm. all. The first company I created, first grant I got, for, or first funding sorry, I got for this company, I used this money to pay a rent outside of my organization mm. when we had all these spaces and we could have find a good model between us to say well you know what let's incubate this company into the university mm. let's accelerate this company into this university and when the comp and the way the company actually is able to 
pay its bills and really starts to be self-sufficient, yes, of course, you need to move on. But, but how can we help them to succeed? Mm. Uh, and so a model where we are going to incubate our companies internally, we are going to support them, we're going to give them access to our laboratories, we're going to give them access to our hospital, in my case. We're going to really support them and be an active shareholder into the journey of the company. I mean, that's, that will transform the way entrepreneurship is seen, mm. at least in my sector. Um, um, and, and, and it might generate more unicorns, therefore, from university because the academic will stop hiding their IP. Because mm. I don't believe that the reason we have a very low amount of, of unicorns uh, coming from universities are because there is no good idea in university. In fact, <laughs> absolutely not. Yeah. In fact, in fact, you know, if you look at the if you look at the uh, UK um, uh, innovation sectors compared to the US, the balance between the amount of company created and uh, the balance between um, uh, sorry the balance between the amount of company created and the patents and and the amount of papers published you know, is very 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 different. Um, and, and the UK is a, is a really huge player mm. in, uh, in innovation. Um, but somehow, because we haven't yet cracked the way to work in partnership with, with the companies that can be created by our academics, then we, we close the door too early and we, we have an exodus of people who basically will decide this is not the environment for me to create my company. Mm. I can't get, I can't have my term sheet signed in 18 months. I need it to be done in three. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, um, it's just a way of thinking and, and we can, we can make it, it make it happen. I, I really genuinely believe we have, we have the right time now to do it. Mm. I have a couple more questions for you. One is a big challenge, which is a, a challenge that we have seen in entrepreneurship and in STEM. And when you compound them, I think the problem gets worse, which is around diversity and inclusion. Mm. Entrepreneurship traditionally very male-dominated, STEM, same. So when you have those entrepreneurship happening in STEM, I'm sure the numbers don't uh, go in the right direction. Do you, what do you think are, do you have any ideas around how we support a more diverse group of researchers to take up the mantle of entrepreneurship and take on the kind of innovation mantle in general? But it's a very tough one to crack, and we need to start in uh, in in you know very early years of of educations about um, uh, you know championing STEM. Mm. If I look at the amount of uh, of uh, uh, female engineers coming to our programs, you know the numbers are extremely good, much better than they were a few years ago. And I think it's all about role models. If there is no black professors in biomedical engineering. Then, you know, we are missing a role model. If there is no female professors in, in engineering, that's the same thing. So I think we need to be very aware that it is a necessity because having all of those people with those different backgrounds will increase not only the visual diversity. And I think there is a lot of, you know, hidden challenge in terms of diversity as well you know, that we need to, we need to tackle. But it will generate different ideas, right? I mean, coming mm -hmm. from coming from different backgrounds with different um, uh, social uh, education or, or different um, uh, religion, you know, make people thinking differently. You know, and I I, I experience it mm -hmm. um, um, just coming from a different country when I think about a problem, 
I will think it with a bias coming from the way I've been raised. Uh, and other people will create, will, will think it with a different bias. And by having all these bias together, those bias become positive, not negative, right? So, so there is genuinely a huge opportunity, but it will start by embracing those opportunities very early on. We had a, we had a company created by, by two, uh, two ladies, uh, called uh, Rue, Medical, Very medical, we know them well. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, they come from Obama Medical Engineering Program. Mm -hmm. you know, they are doing fantastically well. Just heard uh, yesterday they got talking about medical device regulation, why you need to create a company. They just got ISO 1345, which is an important certification if you want to create a medical device. You know, I mean, they are, you know, going through a fantastic journey. But what do we do now? We use them as role model already. Mm -hmm. You know, it's quite a lot. To put on their shoulder, I think, mm. but because we don't have that many yet, but it's great to prove the point. It can be done, yeah. and we need to celebrate it. What do you think is unique about Kings and their position, and what they can uniquely offer in this space? Well, <clears throat> first, you know, Kings wants to be seen and is seen as a very civic institution who wants to be at the service of society and the. And the whole strategy of the university is really about how the university is really making a difference to society. So, so in terms of the mission, there is a strong alignment. Mm. I think there is no deny. Um, it's certainly one of the most collegiate universities that I've been um, working with and certainly working for. Um, I think the multidisciplinary aspect of King's is very well renowned for. Uh, so there is a, there is a, um, there is an environment when you, we are mixing the disciplines very well, mm. which I think much better than other universities. So I think that will be certainly, I'm not saying it's a uniqueness, but at least it's an asset. Yeah. And, and it's an asset we need to tap into. You know, being an engineer, leading a school in a faculty of medicine, you know, having clinical services and patients being taken care of in our school, while we have chemists, roboticists, engineers, physician, surgeon, it's already unique. And actually, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't exist anywhere else in the UK. Um, we want to apply this model at scale. You know, the conversation we have about engineering at King's is to actually scale up this model. Right? It's making sure we solve the problem in the right environment. And, and where, where I think King's has been quite modern is, is to be able to break those barriers, which are, you know, from the Victorian age, that if you do chemistry, you are in a department of chemistry, mm. right? And if you do, if you do, if you do computer science, you will be in the department of, of computer science. But if you solve, what's the problem you're solving? Rather, everything can be seen as a big matrix. Mm. Either you are becoming an expert in your field of methods, and you want just to do more and more of those methods. Either you want to use those methods to deliver a difference to society, and you do that by solving a problem which matters. So the more we look at the world as we want to solve a problem, what are the skills we need to have, the more we will start to mix disciplines together. Mm. And, the more, to diversity and the more we will be diverse as well, because we will think from different points of view. Mm. And we will actually be more agile. So I think the, the amazing opportunity Kings has, it's is really around is 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 openness of multidisciplinary research, you know, and, and it's uh, it's very striking that it is a huge asset the university has. What are your kind of 
goals for the next few years? What do you want to be able to achieve at Kings in this area or beyond? Well, if I can, if I can contribute to to change the to change the state of mind, to change the the way that entrepreneurship is embedded into the university, I would be very very happy. Mm. I think I will have achieved something. Um, my 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 main goal in, in in research has always been about changing the world. You know, he still makes my kids laugh when I say that. Say, Dad is living in his own kind of mood. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I think it's important to have a sense of purpose. I, I really believe it's really important to have a sense of purpose, clear direction, where you want to go, why you're doing what you're doing. And uh, as an academic working in healthcare and as an engineer, my, my, my whole sense of purpose is changing the world, making the world a better place, developing technology which will save life, will make a difference. I know it looks cheesy. Actually, that's what I, that's why I go to work every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say the same thing to my students. I say the same thing to my academics. I say the same thing to every single staff or to whoever wants to listen to me or not. Um, so if we, if we can push towards that, then I think uh, as a, as a group, then we will certainly make a better contribution. I want to change the model that we work between the public and the private environment. Uh, public-private partnership is really, really at the core of everything we we do. Um, so we've been talking about a lot about entrepreneurship, but there is a way as well of being being entrepreneur by creating different models about how we work with industry mm-hmm. and stop seeing industry as as just at the receiving end of what we do, but really at the center of what we are developing today. So, so something I'm very proud of is, you know, all the, all the large, um, uh, collaboration agreement we have with major industry partners. Because again, we don't have to alienate all of the big companies and say, we will only create companies ourselves. We need to create an ecosystem when those partnerships happen as well with those big companies. Mm-hmm. Because you need to offer them an opportunity as well to scout what you do. You want to understand their direction of travel. You want to understand their 10, 15 years um, journey in front of them because you want to be part of it. To be part of it, you need to, you need to develop technology which matter to them as well. Right. So, so it's, um, yeah, a good contribution to me would be that we, we really change, we change the conversation between, between industry and the university sector. We embed industry into our research much more early. We embed industry into our education program much more early. Uh, we, we, we enable 100% employability. We enable, you know, entrepreneurs to grow within our organizations. And we, we make product. We do make product with what we do. So, so yeah, in five years time at Kings, you know, um, I really hope I will, have to, I will have contributed to make this a reality. I think that's a good note to finish on. Entrepreneurs and academics becoming one in the same to change the world. I think that's a good <laughs> a good mission to work towards and I hope uh, we'll be able to see it come to a reality at King's. So thank you for listening and we'll see you next time on Disruptors. To find out more about the Entrepreneurship Institute, visit www.kcl.ac.uk forward slash entrepreneurship.